It's a powerful passage that Pastor Ryan read for us earlier. Uh, Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Psalm is a reminder of um, your greatness, uh, Father, and uh, all the other potential idols that uh, rival you, that attempt to rival you um, for our attention are, are nothing they cannot do what you can do. You are our sufficiency. Um, you are the one who can truly satisfy. Um, and we turn our hearts again and our eyes again and our minds again, once again, to you to, to, uh, to attend to your word. We continue to worship by attending to your word now. I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to each one of us according to our needs. Um, some of those needs are felt. Uh, and some of them are we don't even aren't aware of some of our deepest needs sometimes, but your spirit knows them all. And we ask, Lord, for the ministry of your spirit even now as we look at your word. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, Mr. Klein uh, asked me earlier what the preaching passage was because it's not listed there in the bulletin as it typically is. And uh, we're uh, we're going to be looking at several different verses uh, there's a couple different kinds of sermons. There's the expository sermon or expositional sermon, which is what we typically do here. We'll take one passage and we'll unpack that passage. But then there's also the topical sermon or the thematic sermon, which we'll uh, try to draw together. We use different passages to focus on a particular common theme, and that's what we're doing today. We're going to be looking at stabilizing practices. Ephesians 4:14 is a is a descriptive verse, and it's right there on the screen. It says then, it's talking about Christian maturity, when we reach maturity, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. There's a picture for you. Um, diverse winds of teaching. People having diverse opinions and diverse uh, teachings and they, and they and these winds of doctrine churn up the waves of society and churn up the waves of the mind that produce even more ideas and and teachings that are produced by human cunning and deceit and it sounds a little bit like our times we live in crazy times and we have a need we have a need for stability and what I want to do uh, what I want to do today is share with you some stabilizing practices. These are prescriptions for crazy times, if you will, because these are the kinds of things that help to keep us anchored. These are things we need to live out for ourselves, but these are also practices that as we implement them, they are good for others, too. They're helpful to others. What I'm going to share with you is not new. It's not innovative. Um, These have been the habits of Christians since the dawn of the church, since Christ's resurrection. They are rooted in Scripture They are prominent in Scripture, and probably many of you have heard more than one sermon on each one of these particular points, and likely have discussed them in various Bible studies in Sunday school classes or in youth group or whatever. So some of this may be new to maybe a few of you, but probably not to many of you. But you know, knowing isn't everything. Knowing isn't everything. And so we go over these things again and again because it's kind of like a hammer hitting a nail into a board. Each time we go over it, maybe it drives it a little bit, that truth and that practice, a little bit deeper into who we are. So we're going to be looking at these practices. And I'm just going to talk about four or maybe three. We'll see how far we get. 
uh, of these practices. And there are certainly other things we could have talked about in this sermon, several core practices. We could have talked about prayer. We're not going to talk about prayer. I'm not going to talk about love. That's important. We're not going to be talking about uh, the importance of putting to death sin in our lives or about serving others or about family. And as we talk about these, you'll think, oh, he should have talked about this or that or whatever. But we're just going to limit it to um, three or four. So this is an incomplete list, but it's, it's not exhaustive. But these are four that I think are core. And the first stabilizing practice is this, Sunday worship. Sunday worship. And there's our first verse for you. Well, second verse, if you're counting Ephesians 4 that we listed earlier. But first one with this point, and it, it's right in the middle of a, of a sentence, so that's kind of awkward. Uh, Hebrews 10.25 says, Not staying away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The NIV, I think, says not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together for worship. That's Hebrews 10.25. I want to tell you a little bit about the book of Revelation. Many people know the book of Revelation as the book of end times, the book of prophecy, the book explaining what's going to happen in the future uh, prior to the time Christ comes back, and then when Christ comes back, and then the new heavens and the new earth and so forth. What's interesting about the book of Revelation is how central worship is to the book of Revelation. On the very first page of Revelation, the very first chapter, um, as, the, as the Apostle John is about ready to receive these visions that he's going to have, he's in worship. He's involved in worship. Revelation 1.10 says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And all the way to the back of the book of Revelation, on the last page, in the last chapter, there's an angel telling John to worship God. And in between, and in between those two chapters, there's all kinds of worship throughout the book of Revelation. Um, John in chapter four begins to receive these visions and these visions carry him through all the way to chapter 22 in the book of Revelation. But you know how those visions start? The very first two uh, uh, chapters of those visions are is is John sitting in on a worship service in heaven. It begins the 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 unfolding of the future begins with a worship service It begins with John witnessing the worship in heaven. Worship is not an add-on. It's not a preliminary to the real business of heaven. It's not a preliminary to the real business of the church. It's what the church does. It's what the Christian does. We worship God. We worship Jesus Christ. Why worship? Why should we worship? Before I answer this, I just want to qualify worship. You may know that from Scripture there are at least two main types of worship. The one kind is the formal corporate worship that we're doing right now when we gather together, for instance, on Sunday mornings when we gather together to worship the Lord together. And the other kind of worship that the Bible describes is the everyday uh, life kind of worship where you live your life, every aspect of your life to the glory of God. For instance, 1 Corinthians 10:31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God, the every kind of day living your life under the will of God to the glory of God. So what I'm talking about right now, though, is the first kind, the corporate worship, where we gather together, for instance, right now on Sunday mornings. Why do we go to church Sunday after Sunday? I just want to give you a couple reasons. Focus on two reasons. The first one is because it pleases the Lord. Because it pleases the Lord. For Christians, this reason should hold a lot of weight. 
Because those hearts and minds that are renewed by God should desire to please the Lord. And when they hear that gathering together with a local congregation every Sunday pleases the Lord, then believers want to do that. Ephesians 5 tells us that we should find out what pleases the Lord. Well, I'm telling you right now, one of the things that the Bible says that pleases the Lord is that we gather together on Sunday mornings to worship. That we not forsake the gathering of ourselves together because it pleases the Lord. The other reason, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. Why, why come to church Sunday after Sunday? Because it reminds us of what is truly true and truly important. It reminds us of what is truly true and truly important. The, the world we live in, the world we live in out there, and the world we partake in here in worship are two very different worlds. Without the truth of what happens in here, we can easily assume that the, the fads and the, and the thinking and the priorities of the world out there is what ultimately is important. We can assume that that's what's ultimately important, that that's where, where the ultimate truth lies, even though very often the opposite is the case, where what is taught out there and what is promoted out there in the world is not important and, in fact, is often false and not true. Let me just give you some examples. The world tends to glorify military power. He who has the most soldiers and the best weapons wins. But how many times do you see in Scripture that the army with the best weapons and the most warriors does not win? The reality is that God determines these things. The world glorifies political power. It's if our guy's not in the White House, then we're doomed. You know, if if our party isn't in control in the Capitol, then we're doomed or in the state house, then we're doomed. It's all over until, you know, the next election. But the Bible tells us that the ultimate power behind the world are not the thrones and the executive desks of the capitals around the world. It's the throne that is in heaven. That's the power behind the world. And we are reminded of that when we gather together Sunday after Sunday. We're reminded of these realities and these truths. The world worships economic prosperity. And we can too if we're not careful. But when we gather to worship, we are reminded that God is our sufficiency. That we are not to worship money, but rather we are to worship God. For money will not meet our needs, but God will. I don't know where you get your news source from. If it's the nightly news, if it's the internet, if it's the, if it's the uh, news feed on your phone. But often these news sources, almost always these news sources, they are constantly and talking and reporting as if there was no God. They don't remind us that politics is one thing, but don't worry, God is in control. I've never seen that on my news feed. They don't promote the worship of God over the worship of money. It is scripture that reminds us of these things. And it is, it is worshiping together that helps us to understand that Scripture is credible, and not only credible, but true. Because when I come here and I see others of you here worshiping the same God I do, that strengthens my faith. That strengthens my confidence in the reality of this God. And when I read about church history, and I read about the church around the world, I recognize that millions and millions of people have found that Jesus is true, and that Jesus is real, and that the reality that the Bible paints for us is the real reality. That is what is truly true and what is truly important. I remember years ago when um, 
couple examples. Corliss was at St. Anne, and people would bring him here, and he wanted to get here. And when, when, uh, when, uh, Joyce, when Joyce Tarr, she was uh, battling the, you know, towards the end of her life, battling the cancer, you know, but, but she would come, you know, she would make it a point to be here as much as she could. You know, and just them sitting, just them sitting right there was an encouragement to me because I saw the priority that worshiping God was to them. And that's what you do when you gather too. You are setting an example for others. You're an encouragement to others. We can easily worship the things in our life that seem to have the best shot of helping us make it week to week or year to year, or the best shot of giving us the best life, whether that be politics or money or certain systems or philosophies or even certain dreams of fame or achievement or whatever your dreams might be. Regular participation in congregational worship reminds us of the one who truly preserves us, the one who loves us, the one who is our true help. The culture around us magnifies the trivial, and it trivializes what is most important. What do you hear talk about, talked about in the world around you a lot? Now, I hear a lot of talk in the news feeds and so forth about politics, about movies and shows, about celebrities about sports about what that celebrity said about that celebrity or this politician said about that politician about crime whatever i was looking at youtube's uh youtube's top stories of 2022 and they included such things as uh, the situation with russia and ukraine the death of queen elizabeth uh the johnny depp and amber heard trial uh the january 6th hearings the assassination of shinzo abe uh, Roe v. Wade overturned the protests in Iran, the shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Now, I don't know how you rate those stories personally as important, but 10 years from now, how important will the Johnny Depp trial be? Um, will you still be talking about that? Have you ever talked about it? <laughs> um, you know, someone commented that Will Smith slapping Chris Rock should have been on that list. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the world magnifies the trivial at the expense of that which is truly important. Not that some of these things don't have a place, they do, but, but what do we never hear talked about in the world? God, the Lord Jesus, sin, grace, moral law, heaven, hell, damnation, salvation, final judgment. And these are the things that are truly important for eternity. Worship reminds us of these things. Uh, Paul David Tripp writes about Sunday worship, worship. Isn't it good that God devised a plan so that we would regularly gather and remember what the world around us ignores or mocks? As we remember, our hearts fill once again with gratitude and are moved once again to worship. Weekly worship with others is important. It's vital. Now, if you break your arm on Sunday morning before church and the bone's sticking through, go to the hospital. Don't come to worship. All right? If by providence, if by providence you are germy and sick or your kids are sick, then stay home. You know, but as you have opportunity, if you can, get to church. Many of you, you know, do all that you can to get to work, right? Um, but then might not put in quite the same effort in order to get to church. Um, and I have to tell you, I needed to talk about this today because all of you have failed at this. I mean, I believe, 
I believe this is the first time I've seen any of you in church this year. Am I right? (laughs) It's for God's glory that we gather together. It's for your own good. It's a stabilizing practice in a crazy world that keeps our mind right. And along those lines, then let's go to the second one here. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Your mind is a battlefield. It's a battlefield that is fought over by the Lord and by Satan. Satan knows that if he can claim your mind, he can at the very, very least nullify your influence in the world. If he can keep you discouraged, or if he can keep you worldly, focused on worldly things, or if he can keep you distracted, in any of those situations, if he can, he'll just get you stuck, and you won't be much use to anyone else, much spiritual use to anyone else. Renewing your mind is a lifelong process whereby your outlook is lining up more and more with the Lord's outlook. The goal is for you to have God's perspective on everything. From world events and historical trends all the way down to your personal relationships, to your personal habits, um, what you do in your married life with your kids, when you're in private, at work, and so forth. The goal is to have God's perspective on all these things. The Apostle Paul wrote about his own shifting perspective. He says, from, then on, or from now on, then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him in this way. So Paul once looked at people from a worldly perspective, uh, from a human, uh, in, a, in a purely human way. He saw Christ in that way too. But now he looks at Christ and others in a different way, from a renewed mind, from God's perspective. The world is constantly telling you what to think and how to think about it. That's what the world does. But you should know that the world is often misguided in its thinking. Going back to Ephesians 4, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Worldly thinking is so misguided. But if if that's the only thinking and the only ideas that you are tapping into, that's where your thinking is going to go. Renew your mind. Renew it often. Renew your thinking. Why do so many Christians live like the world? Because they think like the world. Because they aren't renewing their minds. There's a story of a a Cajun who was uh, hoeing in his vegetable patch. And someone ran up to him and said, Richard, Richard, come quick. Your house is on fire. And so the Cajun dropped his hoe and started running. And all of a sudden he stopped and reined in his runaway mind. And he said, wait a minute. My name's not Richard and I don't own a house. (laughs) That's what the world does to us. It gets us all jumbled up and thinking the wrong things about ourselves and about our own situation. The world would love to get you to think that your name is victim when truly you are a child of God and can overcome. The world would love to have you worried about storing up treasure in this life when truly you should be storing up treasure in heaven. Renewing your mind helps you to see yourself from God's point of view to view uh, uh, instead, instead of the world's point of view. 
So how do you renew your mind? Well, I'll mention a couple things, and these are not unfamiliar to you at all. Uh, one is to be much in the scriptures, to be in the scriptures regularly, to read the Bible daily. That's how we renew our mind. Um, I got to tell you that uh, I think the Densmores are um, great examples of this. I, Dawn sent us this picture, and they even have the cat reading the word of God. Uh, I think that's going a little above board, but... More power to you, Don. <laughs> you say you don't like to read. Well, the scripture is available in audio in all kinds of forms. You can certainly listen to the scripture. Bible intake in one way or another is the key. Uh, I was reading an interview with uh, Beckett Cook, um, someone that Peter Ryan put on, put me on to. I'd never heard of him. But anyway, I was reading an interview with him. He used to be a production designer for fashion magazines in Los Angeles. And in the interview, he said this. He said, look, if you're going to be on social media or Netflix for an hour, you need to read the Bible for an hour because you've just been lied to. And now you need the truth. Um, A little bit of hyperbole, perhaps, but maybe not not too much of hyperbole. Uh, There's a lot of truth there. Another way to renew your mind is to be part of a Bible study or a Sunday school class or both. Um. And those, I'll, I'll tell you, I think those are different than listening to a sermon every Sunday. Uh, I think there's a different kind of value to those kinds of discussions, to being in that group. Because in a class or in a, in a Bible study group, you, you often walk through a book and you're walking through it together. And um, as you talk about it, you draw insights from other people. Plus, you're getting a, a more sustained, a, a more in-depth look at the sustained argument of a particular book or a particular theme. Um, Sarah and I have been, our family's been a part of John and Jackie's small group now for many years, and uh, boy, the discussions there are really good. At, um, you know, they always they, they always say, "Well, we'll ask Kent what he thinks," but. Uh, Honestly, I learned so much from the discussion from the others as well that uh, they they don't appreciate that, I think. But uh, I, I learn a lot from them, too, as we're discussing. I, being a part of a Sunday school class or a, or a Bible study, I think, is also valuable. And I, I would say uh, to your teenagers, too, uh, who are part of Jackie's Sunday school class or, or Peter's uh, youth group on Wednesday nights, you know, don't don't check out mentally. On the discussion there, because you can learn a lot from that discussion. Renew your mind. The third one is this radical trust, radical trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Take God at his word in everything. It's easy to trust him in some areas of your life, but then not in other areas. It's perhaps easy for you to, for some of you to trust him with the future, but not necessarily to trust him with the here and now, with the present. To survive now, you live more by your own wits than by God's wisdom. You fight and claw like the world for your fair share rather than waiting on the Lord and seeking his advice. So let's say something big and negative and unexpected, some kind of problem or trial comes into your life. Maybe it's a huge necessary expense, like a car repair or you need a new furnace or something like that. 
What would God tell you to do? Would he tell you to panic? He would not tell you to panic. What would he have you do? Well, he'd have you talk to him about it. He'd have you use wisdom to check out possible solutions. He'd have you not even consider any immoral solutions that might present themselves. He'd have you trust him that whatever happens, you are not lost. You ever thought about the fact that God allows these things into our lives to help us to focus on him, to help us to trust him, to train us to trust in him? What about health problems? Would he tell you to be anxious? He would not. He does tell you that if you are anxious, to cast that anxiety upon him, 1 Peter 5, 7. He tells you to take your anxiety to him in prayer, Philippians 4, 6. He tells you to pour out your heart before him. Whatever is on your heart, pour it out before him, Psalm 62, 8. And he tells you to trust in him at all times, the same verse, Psalm 62, 8. And he tells you that he is a refuge for you if you will take refuge in him, the same verse. Psalm 62, 8. Proverbs 3, 7 says, the last verse up there on the screen says, Be not wise in your own eyes. That is to say, take God at his word. If you're having relationship difficulties, handle them God's way. Don't be smarter than God to achieve what you want with your relationship. Coming up with your own tricks in order to make their relationship what you think it should be. Trust God in how you go about your work. Trust him in how you handle your pain and loss and your sadness. Trust him when you are anxious. Trust him in how you handle your money. In other words, do what he says. Naaman had leprosy. In the Bible, Naaman had leprosy and he took it to God. And God's solution was, I want you to go to the Jordan River and I want you to take a bath in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I am not going to wash in the Jordan River. The place where I come from has cleaner waters than the Jordan River. But finally, his servants convinced him, hey, God said it. Just, Just try it and see if it works. So you know what? He did. And he was cleansed. It worked. It defied all the ancient science of the day. Trust in him in all situations. We are conditioned by our scientific culture to look for scientific solutions. We're conditioned by our naturalistic, materialistic culture to look for naturalistic, materialistic solutions. But we as the people of God should be looking to God for solutions and looking to him for help. Live your life as if God was with you because he is. Live your life as if God's word is true, because it is. Radical trust. The fourth practice, verbal witness. Verbal witness, that is telling others about Christ. Telling others about Christ. Mark 5.19 is up there on the screen. He told him, go back to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. I'm going to go back to the book of Revelation a minute. Revelation tells the story of God establishing establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And it does so through visions um, and apocalyptic imagery. There are three stages to the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. The first stage was accomplished through Jesus Christ at his death and resurrection. The third stage will be accomplished... When uh, Christ returns at the second coming of Christ, and then his kingdom will be fully established in a new heavens and a new earth. And we read um, 
Marcy read a little bit about that for us today in Revelation 21. No more pain, no more suffering. Fullness of righteousness, fullness of peace, fullness of joy, fullness of security, nothing else to worry us, so on and so forth. That's the third stage. The second stage of the advancement of the kingdom of God in this earth, of the bringing of the kingdom of God to this earth, is accomplished by Jesus Christ through his body, through his church, through us. And a lot of that is accomplished by means of witnessing, simply telling others about Jesus Christ, telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission, go and tell. Jesus told his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's at the beginning of the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts tells the story about how the church grew, how the kingdom of God came and expanded from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the known earth at that time or in the gospel purview. Believers telling others about the Lord Jesus. Now, one other aspect of that witness is this. It will sometimes be met with resistance. Verbal witness will be met with resistance. It will be met sometimes with hostility. Um, Difficulty often accompanies that witness. Revelation tells the story of the growth of the kingdom in this way. The church witnesses to Jesus, and the church often suffers for that witness. But the kingdom grows as a result. And this was played out in the book of Acts. When God called uh, the Apostle Paul, um, when Jesus got a hold of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, um, he, uh, you know, Paul converted to Christianity at that point, and uh, Jesus indicated that not only was he going to be a witness to the Gentiles, but he was also going to suffer. That was going to be part of the witness. Suffering was going to be a reality in Paul's life. Um, and that's how the book of Acts played out. Wherever Paul ministered, three things happened. Uh, he told others about Jesus. The second thing that happened was that many resisted him. And the third thing that happened was that the kingdom was advanced because many people also believed him. But suffering, persecution, difficulty, resistance is intertwined with that whole idea of witnessing and advancing the, God, uh, advancing the kingdom of God. I'll tell you another theme in the book of Acts and Revelation. What, happens to, what happened to Jesus happens to the church. Jesus' life in the Gospels is a pattern for what happens in the lives of believers and in the, lives, and in the life of the church. And Jesus said as much, he predicted as much in John chapter 15, when he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus shed his blood to advance the kingdom, and in many ways the church does also, whether that's metaphorically or literally. Revelation 12:11. they, believers, conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not lie, love their lives in the face of death. All this to say that the kingdom advances in this era in history by the witnessing of God's people. We need to be witnesses. Um, and as in the other three points, I'm preaching as much to myself as I am to you, but we need to be witnesses. And we also need to recognize that sometimes it's going to be painful. 
that sometimes there will be resistance. Um, don't just, I say all that to say that we need to be witnesses, but don't wait for the picture perfect opportunity in order to witness. Don't wait for the time when you think that no one's absolutely going to say anything negative about it or that your feelings aren't going to be hurt because often that won't be the case. If you wait for that opportunity, it'll never materialize. Tell others about the Lord. Tell others about the Lord. Um, some of those people, some people will resist you at first, but they need to hear the gospel. And sometimes it's the people who seem most resistant to the gospel who, who put their faith in Christ right away. And then there'll be other people that you've been talking to a long time, a long time. I, I was, uh, I was at, uh, chiropractor recently and he was telling me about, um, he has, he has a list of people that he's been witnessing to. And the top guy on his list, he's been talking to the Lord about for like 20 years. And the guy is willing to listen to him, you know, and, and doesn't resist him, you know, isn't antagonistic at all about it, but does not, but is not willing to commit his life to the Lord. So that's an easy witness, but the guy hasn't put his faith in Christ. And then we, here in Acts 9, we have Saul, the apostle, or before he was an apostle, very resistant to the gospel. And he's confronted and he turns immediately. You just never know who's going to put their faith in Christ. Well, here then are four timeless practices that have served the church well for 2,000 years. And I know they will serve you well too. Sunday worship every Sunday. Renew your mind. Radical trust. Taking God at his word in every area of life. And verbal witness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, it, it is your wisdom that you have revealed these kinds of things to us. You, you have told us not only the good news about Christ, that we have forgiveness of sins, and that we have a sure home in heaven as those who have put our faith and trust in you, but you, you have your, your instructions to us, your wisdom to us, affects this life as well. The gospel is not only for the future, but it's also for the present. To teach us how to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to you, in such a way that pleases you, but also in such a way that helps to stabilize us in a world that is, that is filled with all kinds of competing doctrines and ideas and thinking. Uh, help. My prayer is that everyone in this room would um, walk very close to you, would follow hard after you, would be very close to you in your word, be here on a regular basis on Sunday mornings and worshiping, that, that they would be involved in these practices, Lord, that would, would help them to become mature and stable and wise. And it's to uh, your glory, Father, that we pray all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.